Welcome to Conversations of the Strange. Conversations of the Strange. and welcome once again to another episode of Conversations of the Strange. I am Don Everett Smith Jr. and I'm your host. Today, I am very grateful to have two wonderful podcasters who run an absolutely fantastic show. It's called The Wardcaster Files. And if you love podcasts about true crime, you've got to go back to this. This is one of these podcasts where it's a total binge listen. You listen to one and you go, I want to hear the next one. I want to hear the next one. I want to hear the next one. And each episode has a different crime, but what they do have in common is two incredibly very talented hosts, Sherry Ward and Joshua Lancaster. And I have them both on with me today over Skype and Joshua Sherry thank you so much for joining me today I really do appreciate it well thanks for having us Don we're really excited to be on your show as well thank you I appreciate that so do we get Joshua there yes I'm oh, here as well <laughs> okay great awesome I want to make sure that because the mics can be funny on these things I have a wacky software program all right um First of all, I got to tell you, I've listened to. Um, obviously, you've got so many episodes, and li- just have not had the time to listen to all of them. But what I've listened to is absolutely very entertaining, and I realize that the strength of your podcast is the relationship between the two of you, and you guys take very, very, very complicated stories, and you simplify them in a way for a layman like myself to sit back and listen and understand what's going on. And then when you say a fact, um, and I just sit there and just go, wow, that is like really dumb that this guy would do that. And within about three seconds of me thinking that is really dumb, this guy does that, both Joshua and Sherry go, that is really dumb that this guy did that. And what I like about what you guys do is you get caddy over the caddy details and you point out the really crazy things and but you do it in a very respectful way but you do it in a very entertaining way well, well thanks <laughs> yeah but one of the things that we talked about when we talked about getting this going was to make sure that we're always respectful for the victims and survivors and their families but we can do whatever you know say whatever we want to about the murderers <laughs> because they deserve it exactly yes Yes. Now, how did you two meet? How did how did you guys um, get together and decide, hey, let's do a true crime podcast when, you know, like there's paranormal. You guys can do a discussion over um, whatever a reality TV show or a TV show that you guys enjoy. What was it about true crime that attracted you? And actually, you know, let me take a step back. How did you two meet? How did you guys get to know each other? Well, we actually met through my ex-husband. Uh, Sherry and her husband were friends with him way before I had even uh, been with him, and then we uh, just kind of started hanging out, and we attached to each other every (laughs) single time, and we would go out for this dinner uh, twice a year, and every single time, me and Sherry were always attached to each other, and we just grew super close that way. Yeah, it was like, as soon as we met, we became fast friends. It was just an instant friendship attraction between (laughs) us. Right. 
<laughs> right. And how long have you guys, uh, I guess, been friends at this point? Eight. Uh, it's been a little over eight years now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. Now, when did you guys decide that, hey, let's do a podcast together? Um, it was last year when I really started thinking about doing a podcast. And I wanted to do true crime because I've always loved true crime. But the problem was, I, you know, I listened to a lot of podcasts, and I wanted to do something where there was some banter, where there were two hosts that, you know, kind of played off of each other. Right. Because the ones that I've listened to that were just one host, they were kind of boring to me, and I didn't want to be like that. Right. So I started thinking, you know, who in my life do I have this kind of this kind of rapport with? And Josh was the first person that popped into my head, so I texted him, and I was like, hey – tell me you like true crime. <laughs> and he was like, I sure do. And I was like, okay, we've got to go with this then. Nice. And you just kind of ran, ran with there. Now, yeah. We just kind of, yeah. Yeah. Now were you guys like always technically savvy? I mean, like, I'll tell you this before the, before I started the show, I was listening to Josh and I was like, wow, this guy knows his stuff. Like he was like, let's get this mic in. We're using this in. Let's see how this sounds and everything. Were Were you guys like, computer experts, technical experts, or did you just kind of go, let's do a podcast and we'll learn on the way type of thing? Um, I didn't know anything about the tech part. So I was like, hey, Josh, here's your job. <laughs> and he's, well, you know, he's a little bit younger than me, so I feel like that gives him the advantage. But he does all of the tech the tech stuff. Well, the main reason I got, uh, I got into audio a long time ago because uh, I do drag, or I used to do drag. Um, and I would have to make uh, different like music mixes to kind of change up what everybody else was doing uh, to do something original. So I had to learn to mix my own music. Um, so it wasn't that hard to kind of transition that into audio recording. I just needed to learn how the mics work, how to set up the programs. And I mean, even with our first episode, we immediately had these microphones, the computers, we had the software ready. So that's why our first episode sounds like it does because yeah. I literally ran with it as fast as I could. And you, I mean, you're just really good at it. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, th I look at all the, Oh, he's really good at editing too. We have to, of course we have to do a lot of editing because <laughs> right. we just sit around and talk about things. But, um, so he's really good at all of that, which was, is really a blessing. Right. Right. Now, when you're actually doing the crimes yourself, um, you would put it out like, You'd put it out there, hey, if you see a crime, let us know. And how do you guys choose the crimes that you're going to talk about? We kind of just choose them at random. Um, well, no, we've got the... Well, we got the will of decision right. that chooses... At first we did them at random. <laughs> yeah, but then we then we came up with this idea of like kind of a wheel of fortune kind of wheel that we spin, and whatever topic it lands on is the one that we're going to do the next week. Right, so like if it says something like... Uh, adultery murder you go let's go let's take a scott peterson type case type of thing. right right so that, so last on our last episode we spun the wheel and it landed on serial killers so that's what we're going to be you know putting out there for next week so it's, it's a really um kind of takes the pressure off of us for freezing what to do oh that's pretty interesting now the one thing that i also like um the last episode that you um put out on april 30th was you've got another uh, I guess you would call it format where it's have you seen this where you guys will also review uh, pod, like you guys will review true crime shows and go let's talk about that which I think is really fascinating you could just sit back watch an episode of 48 hours or 2020 right. or something and go let's talk about that for next week and then the week after that let's 
do a story about like a brother killing a brother type of thing. So right, right, yeah. We decided that we wanted to add to um, the content, so we wanted to do a, a bonus episode. And it just happened that during one of our regular episodes, we ended up talking about the show Grey's Anatomy, and we had this really great discussion about it. And we thought, well, we could probably translate that into, you know, a true crime documentary that we watch, and then we do like a little bonus episode where we review it. So that's what we're adding on to our um, to our content every week. So we've got our regular, you know, what we call files, our regular episode that other a story of murder and then we've got a bonus episode where we just review a little true crime documentary you know anything on the id channel or oxygen or just whatever's right. out there right and the the other thing now is is that thanks to all the modern streaming services even the um the free ones stu- such as like pluto or Tubi, or if you have a roku account it's all out there and you can just find anything you possibly can on true crime even old episodes of unsolved mystery so you guys are going to well, I mean, like, because of human, between both human nature and all right. the stuff on cable, you guys are going to have pretty much material for the next 20 years, if you ask me. So. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of the goal. Uh, we wanted to, like she said, we had listened to uh, other podcasts who had done reviews and stuff like that, and we were interested in the same thing. So we didn't want to start a second channel or a second podcast. We just were like, how about we do two like we record both episodes on sunday Mm -hmm. um and then i spend monday and tuesday doing a lot of the edits and sending it to sherry because she reviews it as well you know because one person doing the edits listening to it may not catch something right um so that's kind of what we do so i send both episodes to sherry she reviews them lets me know if there's something that is messed up or if something sounds funny um and then we release the regular episodes on tuesday night at midnight and then we release our have you seen this on uh, Wednesday night at midnight, and then the first Thursday of every month, we release our Patreon as well. And our Patreon is just something random where we just pick a true, right. both just pick random true crime stories. But oh. you're right, Don. There, there's a lot of stuff out there. We should we should have enough material to last us <laughs> a long time for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. And now with one of the other things is is that with um, how you guys do the show. Do you guys plan in advance what you're going to say? Like, I'm going to, if I may go back to it, I'll take this as an example. The Watts Family Murders, uh, very tragic case. The only thing I disagreed with you on at the end of the episode, and I'm sorry I'm jumping all over the place. My wife yells at no, me all the okay. time for the doing this. But <laughs> the only thing I disagreed with you on was the death penalty case. And uh-huh. uh, and I just was like, after what, after hearing what, what Mr. Watts did to his children, and I'm only just going to simply say eight-inch hole, and I'm going to leave it at that. Right. I just was like, <laughs> they should, they should, they not only should bring the death penalty back, they should bring public hanging back for this guy. <laughs> was what my feeling was, and and I liked what um, Joshua said when he was saying, like, sit him in a jail cell and like put pictures of his family up on the wall and let him look at that for the rest of his life. I completely understood. But when I heard what he did and like what was described, I just went, yeah, we should really be like, if this were back in the 1800s, someone would have said, I not only sent you to be executed, but I sent your body to be dissected by a local (laughs) medical college. And that was something that they used to do back in the day. So he was just an absolute piece of work. But right. one of the things I thought was funny was his wife 
was kind of like a multimedia supplement salesperson and where you get like the supplements and the bars and the drink powders and stuff and Sarah was just like yeah this stuff never works I've tried it this stuff never works and and going back to what my point was do you kind of plan that out or is it just kind of like a gut reaction and then maybe you might mark a little note doesn't work we can expand on this during the show type of thing you know, I have to do a script for myself, and then we tr- we work really hard to try to sound like we're not reading. But there's so many details in these true crime cases that I feel like if we don't, you know, plan it out and write it out, we might miss something or get something wrong. So for me, I have to I have to really kind of work on exactly what I want to say and kind of how I want to say it. And I think Josh does the same thing. You know, we spend a lot of time doing research on these cases, even though I think in our first couple of episodes we said we weren't going to be like that. Right. We, we ended up actually doing a lot of research and spending a lot of time on on each of our episodes. And Josh ends up talking more kind of touchy-feely about things, and I'm much more into, like, the actual details of what happened. But when, you know, talking about the death penalty case, I totally get what you're saying. Um, my only problem is that there are so many people on death row that it's hard you know, it's a, it's it's a it's an either or kind of situation. You know, you can't have the death people for the people who you you know think are guilty. Yeah. You know, you you gotta. For me, it's it's um it's kind of a uh what do I want to say? So I, I think what she's getting to here is she does believe in the death penalty when it comes to certain situations. People who confess and are uh, you know without a shadow of a doubt, one hundred percent that they're guilty. Those are the people who you know, need to be taken away and put in the death penalty. <laughs> right. But the people who are wrongfully convicted, because we're big things on wrongfully conviction in this podcast. Yeah. We don't, we try not to even cover cases that have that question mark at the top of it at any point. People that confess the DNA's there, you know, every little thing has to match up. That's when we stand up and go, yeah, of course you deserve to burn alive. Like, we don't care. <laughs> right. But we do believe right. in there's so much wrongfully conviction, especially when it comes to African American Americans and minorities that there's too many of those cases out there that are just wrongfully convicted and that's where we kind of stand up and go this is why the death penalty doesn't work is because these people who we know have so much doubt there you know it's just one of those situations we don't want every single person going to death row just because everybody's screaming hang them in the streets right. yeah it's, it's a double it's a double edged sword yeah. for sure you know yeah. you 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 want it to apply in certain cases but then you find out oh gosh this guy's been on death row for 21 years and a dna now says he didn't do it you know you can't really i don't know you can't really say everybody everybody get the death penalty when there's clearly people out there who don't uh who are wrongfully convicted yeah yeah i mean what you guys are saying makes so much sense, and and I'm not saying. And what I'm saying is a total absence of logic. If this makes sense, <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying is is that there are some things that are just so hideous right. that are done. Your first reaction is, I don't care if everybody that's on death row, innocent or guilty, gets hanged. Just so that we could have the death penalty for this guy, that what this guy did was so horrible that even even the innocent people, for lack of a better phrase, uh, 
let, let's just round them up and just do everybody in. Now, I'm saying this. This is a gut reaction. This is not a logical right. reaction. Right, it's not even right. a correct reaction. I'm just simply saying that, like, there are just some things that are just so vile that they are so blinding that all logic goes out the window. I mean, it's like, you know, it's a classic story. Somebody's in a bar. Uh, some guy starts picking on their loved one, and that individual gets so angry, he forgets that he's only 5'9", and the guy he's the guy he's about to try and punch is 6'10", built yeah. like the Undertaker, and played football for the uh, for the New York Giants for like 30 years before he took up MMA fighting. It's just kind of like, yeah, I know if I logically think about this, there's no way I'm going to win against yeah. this opponent. But I mean, it's, it's definitely an emotional reaction, yeah. and and that's part of the thing that you have to you know work against because this is about the facts. It's about mm -hmm. the facts of the case, and and hopefully we can balance out the true guilty from the truly innocent. So that right. that's the whole issue with the death penalty for me. Right. That was the only reason why I was saying um, I disagree. Not not to go sure, in a no political problem. direction, I mean, but it was just when I heard that, I was just kind of like, let's not even give <laughs> this guy regular death penalty um, lethal <laughs> injection. I just was like, can we cover him in A1 sauce and put him in a room with starving bears? That's the type of response. <laughs> I, I that, totally get it. I really do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like, agree with that case. <laughs> yeah, it's like go to YouTube, look up in horrible deaths that were done in medieval times and you're just sitting there taking notes going, yeah this is what we should be doing to this Use guy this one. yeah yeah it's like i like the golden bull let's try the that eagle thing that the vikings did to each other so it's just really awful and for the record don't look up any of those because your stomach will turn that's all i'm gonna say oh trust me we did torture last week and i did a lot of research yeah our search history is pretty bad i hope, I hope our computers never get confiscated by the fbi that's the other thing. Yeah, that's the other thing. I've heard stories like that where, like, even crime writers trying to understand something, they're like, please stay away from my internet history. I right. am a writer. That's it. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Just because I research death by potassium chloride doesn't mean I'm going to go out and kill somebody with potassium chloride. <laughs> exactly. And honestly, I bought all these bananas. It was part of a fruit sale going on at a school I worked at. So that's, <laughs> that's where that is. Now, Obviously, when you guys started off that Watts family murder, that very first episode, and I got to tell you, you swung for the fences with that. Yeah. And I'm going to flat out say people need to listen to that episode. What's great about your stuff is obviously as uh, you, the two of you changed in your life, um, you're going to hear differences. Like one day you're talking about a fiance, the next day you're talking about your husband type of thing. Obviously, that happens. But it was what's great about your show is is that people can listen to any episode at any time uh there's references obviously to previous episodes but it's not like we have to go oh i've got to walk, go back to episode number two to understand what's happening in episode number 16 type right, of thing. right but what's great about it is you can just pick any episode at random and listen to it and be entertained by it that's that's t what i think the most important thing and what you guys do such a great job at no well, thanks. <laughs> yeah, we try not to do to be continued type scenarios. <laughs> right, like, right. We don't like those either. So <laughs> right. Now, obviously, I found I found the Watts story to be uh, the Watts family murders. I found that to be the most tragic of the cases that you guys have put online. But I wanted to know, for you, 
what did you think was one of the most tragic cases that you had to cover? I'm like, and you guys, if you want to have the same answer, that's fine. But I, I want to curious, like of the episodes that you have done, and this even counts the um, TV shows that you've watched. Did you have any particular in mind as to what you thought was the worst or the most tragic episode? Well, the worst one, I, and this is more personal for me. Um, we covered a girl by the name of Caitlin Irving, um, and it was a home invasion because that was the topic. Um, Caitlin was actually one of my close friends that I worked with at my job. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and I kind of go into details of our personal relationship along with what happened during that case, and it was extremely hard for me to type up because it was so personal. And, you know, Sherry being the great friend that she was was very, you know, she kept me going during the topic because it was really hard for me to deal with. And it's still really hard to this day to know that, you know, my friend was murdered just because she decided to take a little time off work. Um, and that's the whole reason that she she passed that she was murdered was because we have a thing called VTO, which is volunteer time off. And she decided just to go home early because she was like, you know what? I've got enough in my paycheck. I'm good. Um, so she decided to go home. And because she walked in the house way too early and caught somebody, that's what ended up happening to her. So it's it's really that was the most tragic for me. But it was mainly because it was personal. Oh, well, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, if I may say, a uh, previous episode that I covered, um, I interviewed these two wonderful ladies. Their names were um, uh, Cynthia Lawson and Renee Rodden, and they've got a podcast called The True Crime Broads, and it's they've focused mainly on the story of Missy Beavers. She was a woman that was uh, murdered at a, in a Texas church back in 2016. And uh, the big takeaway from that was police released a video of, of an individual dressed in police SWAT outfit before Missy was to arrive into the church building. And he was just walking up and down the church and everything. And this individual hmm. uh, killed Missy. And I was asking Renee and uh, Cynthia, how did you guys get into the, uh, like, why cover this particular story? And Cynthia said to me, she's like, well, because I was, I had children the same age that Missy Beavers did. And Renee said, I worked with Missy at the same job. And she talked wow. about the type of individual mm -hmm. that it was. So it's amazing where it's kind of like with true crime, there is an element of, oh, thank God that that happened to that person over there and not right, to me. Right. And especially like if you live in another part of the country and you're like, I'm in Pennsylvania and this thing occurred in Florida. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Like there's more of a separation, but people forget right, a lot right. of times that true crime really, really does have a personal component to this. And uh, it's just because you can't interview the parents or the family members doesn't mean that that isn't the case. And I think Joshua's uh, example that he just said is just a really, really sobering reminder of that. Right. And, and you know, the cases that we cover, they're all tragic. You know, they've all got family members and, and friends who are seriously feeling the loss of this loved one. But when it happens to you, that makes it so much you know so much more horrible and so for me that's the that is the most tragic case i think that we've covered as well because it's someone he actually knew and he worked with and he mentored at his work you know it's someone that he was he was friends with yeah i'm again my apologies or not apologies but my sincerest condolences on that you mm -hmm. guys seem like very nice people and nobody should have to go through that so yeah. 
anyway what about you uh sherry what was uh, what was one that you found to be the most tragic well like i was saying it, it basically was that that case because like i i okay. i really kind of put myself in the you know, in the character's place in our stories. I really try to empathize with what they're going through. But when it's someone that's so close to you, like it is in Josh's case, it just makes it that much more real. It makes it that much more horrible. So I, I really believe that that's the one that that was our most tragic case that we covered. Yeah, because like you had a personal perspective on it. Right, that. right. Yeah, it's not just a case of, oh, wow, not only does this person lose their family, but you can see firsthand what a murder right. did and it affected him so so much you know i could really see how uh how he was just really affected by it yeah so wow that's oh that's that's rough uh let me ask this though how is her family doing these days well her family her family's pretty good they kind of shut themselves off from everyone uh which is understandable yeah. um her dad is actually a big political person here in uh Murfreesboro Tennessee okay um so we didn't touch too much on the family just because he he is part of politics and didn't want to touch on that but the family you know we went to I went to the funeral with uh, my ex-husband um and it was very it, it when we say we say it on all of our episodes that Tennessee is such a homegrown place, like mm. everything that happens here, it affects everybody. And to literally show up there and see lines around the funeral home of just people who just knew her from different scenarios or her dad, it was really touching. And to see like the company that I work for, you know, reaching out and trying to help, and the family accepted it for a while. But even when I did this case, I reached out to her family personally, and they didn't want to have a conversation. They didn't want to talk about the murders or anything, or her murder. So we just kind of, I, I kind of just went on my own situation. But the family seems to be coping as well as a family can right. cope. I think that that they only had two children, um, so for her sister it was really hard for her and at the funeral her reaction to people like i said the family is such a big part of murphy's world because of the dad right. that the family like people pretty much were doing the wrong things on social media reaching out to them going hey how are you guys doing what happened how how did Ugh. she die and stuff like that. So the family had a really hard time dealing with that. So I, I think they just shut themselves off from anybody that's not close to the family. Yeah. And I wasn't close to the family, so obviously I couldn't get any more information from them. But I think that they're coping as well as a family could cope with losing their daughter the way they did. Right, right. Now, forgive me, I'm not familiar with the case. Did they catch the individual? Yes. Okay. Um, he was caught only uh, a week later. Uh, due to fingerprints and things of that sort. So they were able to catch him, and he's, um, as of right now, I don't think there's an update on his case because no. mm -mm. um, we keep looking into it and checking. We know that he is being held, um, and he's uh, there's no bond posted for him or anything of that sort, right. but there's no... There's no case just yet. For it's still it. it's still awaiting trial, I think. Yeah, at but this point. there's enough. I'll put this out there. There's enough evidence that he's going away. Right, there's there's right. no because he has a he has a habit of um, doing this where he would break into houses, mm. and this was just the one time that he did it at the wrong time, and this time he got caught. And when she caught him, he decided to do terrible things to her, and you know he 
he's gonna go away and i this is where i agree with the death field because <laughs> i do want him to be set on fire and run through streets because right, he's a right. terrible terrible individual right and completely understandable gotcha um well i'm glad to hear that there at least i'm glad to hear that there is um closure for lack of a better term or at least they're in the process of that because that's always the yeah. things that is really the, there's like a second tragedy to these cases where you deal with the obvious human impact of it but if you don't deal with the issue itself then it could continue to destroy people more so than it has and exactly. and at least in this type of thing leads to all kinds of breakups of family, addiction issues, mental health issues and everything. And it's like the moral of the story is if something tragic happens, please deal with it. Um, talk to a person, go at your own pace. Don't feel like, well, I need to talk it. Get, I'm going to go through all five stages today, but talk to somebody as soon as possible and start dealing with it. So you can figure out, find closure and put it, and put not the situation behind you, but the anger and the resentment and the other stuff, because that that again leads to more destructive habits and behaviors and everything, which is which makes the tragedy a double one at that point. So, right, right. But um, kind of change it into a different direction. What was one of the weirdest cases that you guys have covered? Well, for me, of course, we do a lot of research and trying to figure out which cases we're going to cover each week. And I came across this one. Um, it took place in the 70s, and it was this guy named Clarence Roberts. And the reason why I thought it was so interesting to cover was he died twice in this case. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, did he? Did he? You know, so he Let was this guess. guy. Let me guess. He's a Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> He's, He's immortal, so they yeah. finally got him. Yeah. He, they play queen <laughs> but, music whenever he gets into a sword fight with people. And everything. Right. You got to cut off the head to get rid of him, you know. But uh, he, you know, he developed this successful hardware store, and so he was making a lot of money, and he was becoming prominent in his community. And he and his wife, uh, the more money they got, the more and more debt they got into. They were buying these fancy houses and cars, and he was doing all of these business ventures that eventually failed so he got into such horrible debt that he couldn't really get out of it and one day there was a fire on his property and a body was found and his uh, Clarence's Masonic ring was found right next to the body and this was a ring that he would never take off so everybody assumed that this body belonged to Clarence Roberts well then skip forward 10 years and uh, Clarence's widow Geneva her house catches on fire. So in the rubble, the police go in and they find two bodies. One of them is Geneva's and the other one is Clarence Roberts. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so it's like, which body is really Clarence Roberts? Well, they exhumed the first one and they realize <laughs> that this first body only had one tooth and one kidney, so it couldn't possibly be <laughs> Clarence Roberts. I don't know how they missed that the first time around. Right. But um, they think that this guy was a drifter that uh, Clarence had, you know, met right before the fire, and he killed him and staged his death to get out of all of those debts. And on the second fire, um, he had actually killed his wife, widow, and. Uh, you know, try, try to set a fire to cover it up, but in the process of lighting the accelerant, he caught himself on fire and died. 
So it was just one of those bizarre things where I feel like he kind of got what he deserved in the end. <laughs> I was about to ask, did you open that episode with Karma Karma Chameleon by Culture Club? Because that would have been... Right? Uh, copy, copyright infringement. <laughs> yeah, that, that was one of the oddest ones for me. It was just so bizarre that this guy, you know, basically died twice. <laughs> nice. Nice. And it, honestly, it sounds like he had it coming, too. So, Yeah, he like, wasn't a good guy, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think he, and he ended up killing himself. So, yeah, yeah. He, got, he got what he deserved. Yeah. Fake death, completely get that. I've thought about it myself, murdering somebody <laughs> to do it. Not so much. Uh, right, right. So it's, <laughs> now, it's like if you had access to drifters in a morgue that passed away due to natural causes, maybe. But <laughs> you don't want to be the person... <laughs> You don't want to be the person that has to have that on your conscience or explain right, to God. Right. Like, wait, weren't you here before? <laughs> it's like... And the weird thing was he was a sheriff and he sat on the board of, of the local bank. So everybody thought he was this upstanding citizen. But it turns out he was really, a you know, not a good guy. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. What I found interesting was when you said the Mason ring and I went, uh-oh, <laughs> we're just going in a new direction with that. The Welcome Masonic to... ring, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where's this headed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome to Conspiracy Theory Radio. So, <laughs> the, oh man. Now, let me ask this. When you guys, um, you've covered all sorts of different criminals, and you've covered all, obviously all sorts of different crimes. What, have you found a commonality in between the murderers? Like, are the murderers people that have grown up in troubled homes? Are they just greedy people? Like, for example, what you were talking about with Clarence Roberts and Watts, the t one thing that they had in common was they were both very greedy people. Watts, Mr. Watts wanted, I believe her name was Nicole, the mistress, and, and Clarence Roberts obviously wanted something like he didn't want to pay the he didn't want to pay, have to pay the money that he owed right, didn't right. Want to get in trouble have you found a commonality with uh, the murderers like do you find them to be like troubled or do you find them to be like some of like it, it just really depends some of these people grew up in wonderful homes shouldn't be murderers and then some people grew up in very tragic homes that you could see like oh yeah uh, it's amazing that he only killed five people and not the more that he did type of thing <laughs> I don't think there's one common thread. There's definitely um, things like, you know, like you said, greed, uh, jealousy. You know, there's there's definitely some commonalities. Um, but I think that um, when you're talking about nature versus nurture, is that what you're kind of like leading More up to? More or less, yeah. yeah actually, yeah. you know what I have in my notes? Do you think some people are born evil? Right. Uh, some of these serial killers, I think they probably are. And I... I actually was uh, done a little bit of research on this and used to the, the, the question was, is it nature or is it nurture? But I think we've come to the point where we think it's a little bit of both where you, you know, you may have that genetic predisposition, but if you don't get those, uh, sorry, we've got dogs barking in the oh, background, okay. <laughs> but if you don't get those triggers in your childhood that kind of sets that off, you know, you, you may not actually grow up to be this horrible and evil person. So I think you have to have a little bit of both. You have to have the genetic component to it, and you also have to have, 
you know, the problems in childhood or the head injuries or or whatever, you know, personality disorder you may end up with. And those work together to make these super evil people. Um, there was this neuroscientist who um, he was doing some research on brains and he was doing it for Alzheimer's research. But people started coming to him and, and asking him to look at serial killer brains. And he found that there were abnormalities in the frontal lobes of these serial killers. And he thought, well, this might be interesting for me to do myself. And he looked at his own brain, and he had the same abnormalities, but oh, wow. he wasn't a serial killer. So he you know, started thinking about, like, why? Why is it that I have these same abnormalities, but I'm not a serial killer, and these other guys are? And so he looked into the other, you know, the real serial killers' lives, and they all had, you know, the bad childhoods, the malnourishment, the, the head injuries. They had things that contributed to the genetics, which led to them being serial killers. And he had a good childhood from a loving home, and so he did not end up as a serial killer. So I think nowadays we're actually talking about not nature versus nurture, but how they work together to create these these murderous people. Yeah. I believe that as people we we have the the tendency, you know, we're animals just like everything else in right, the world. Right. If we feel like we're being um betrayed or we feel like we're being you know, any of those things. If we feel like our life is in danger at any point, we do go on the offensive. That's why we get jobs in the first place. You know, we get jobs so that we won't be homeless and that we won't have, you know, lose all these things because we're survivalists. That's what we're made to do our entire lives. And I think just like Sherry said, you know, if you have a bad childhood, you have all that stuff, it does contribute to it just as your nature of life does, period. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, even though we, me and Sherry may have the same situation my childhood and me and her have talked about this was a lot harder than her childhood was because mm -hmm. i had a terrible terrible father and you know i didn't turn out to be like any of these murderers have i talk right. about murderers now but <laughs> I, I didn't end up like that and it is i mean you set your own path it's your job to do that and that's where she she's 100 percent correct nature and nurture they're not different now they're in the same category because they have to be because you can have the worst childhood and then become a president or anything else and still do great things even if you have that disposition that sits there right it's just according to you know what you decide to do because you have to make choices at the end of the day and me and her make jokes on the podcast all the time and say things like oh yeah that was a choice and the reason <laughs> being is because it is a choice right. you have the right to make the decision that you make that's why I, when it comes to somebody murdering someone or something like that it makes me so angry because I've been put in situations like that where I'm like if I just killed you <laughs> this would make life so much easier yeah. but I don't do it because that's not what we're supposed to do. But right. I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But I think we talk about motivation all the yeah, time. All you know, the time. why do these people do these things? And you know, sometimes it can't be a choice because, like I said, you've got the genetics and you've got that horrible childhood or whatever circumstances that works together with the genetics. And I think sometimes these people just can't control it. They can't right. overcome these circumstances. Yeah. I was going to say what your um, case reminded me of when he was talking about the all, when you were talking about the Alzheimer's pa patients mm -hmm. was the, um, I don't know if you guys know who uh, Chris Benoit was, the professional wrestler. Mm -mm. No, I don't. Okay. Um, very quickly, <laughs> I grew up watching professional wrestling and, um, and I remember Chris Benoit and he was he was never the most like he wasn't like Hulk Hogan who's out there going say your prayers brother he was very very <laughs> right. stoic individual and he always had one uh, he always had one finishing move and that was the headbutt from the top turnbuckle mm 
And oh. so, like, yeah, you can see where this is going. And so, like, he <laughs> right. would come down and headbutt the person and then pin the person. That was, like, his finishing move. And then eventually what happened was is, is that years later, um, Chris Benoit, he had a younger son that was born, I think, I think he had the brittle bone glass disease. Oh, okay. If, I, if I'm correct on this. But he ended up strangling his son strangling his wife and then hanging himself and they did an interview with another wrestler by the name of Brett the Hitman Hart who they had a background together like the Hart family was really big in um, Canada and Chris Benoit was from Canada and a lot of wrestlers trained in the Hart uh, dungeon that they called it Um, and in Bret Hart in interviews after the fact that said when they um, did an autopsy on Chris Benoit they said that they found he like had the brain of an 80 year old Alzheimer's patient right, in, an advanced right. Alzheimer, in advanced stage of that and, uh, and one of the rules now after that has been no more like no more doing headbutts off the top turnbuckle and everything <laughs> and like we want to try and prevent that because like uh you know it's at the same time where you see all the football players that now have injuries right. later in life so there's a there is something to be said about that where it's like right. oh wow and you, i, I mean you, i'm the, sorry no please go go <laughs> no I, I was just thinking about the aaron hernandez documentary you know the yeah. the football guy and he had uh you know he killed several people and it turns out he's got horrible brain trauma from all of the head injuries he received in football so I think when you damage that frontal lobe you're you're damaging some part of your conscious you know your your humanity and it sort of lets you override that and then you're able to act out in these violent ways yeah because I gotta tell you one of the things that's fascinating or what's really tragic about it is you cannot replace that part of your brain that you lose because once right, I think right. like once like you'll hear the jokes when people drink like I want to lose the brain cells that remember my phone number or today was such a horrible day I want to drink another right. vodka that I forget <laughs> about today and in whereas like nowadays we live in a society where you can take the big toe off your off your foot and put it on your thumb if something happens with that but we can't do anything to repair the brain except right. except like behavior modification for lack of right. a better phrase like now instead of me doing 20, 10 miles I can at least just go once around the block because it's a mm-hmm. bigger challenge mm-hmm. than this so yeah it's and we can't ever get that back so that's yeah so when you add all of that to it so right. it's just right. really sad um, actually let me turn this around and go into a positive direction of the stories okay. that you have covered which ones ended with something that you found inspirational, whether it be a a relative that says, you know what, my f- family member was murdered and we're going to start a foundation to have scholarships in her honor or we're going to raise awareness about this type of thing. Wh- which one did you walk away from going, wow, I really liked what happened with this family, that they turned this something tragic into something positive that you yourself were kind of well, basically uplifted by? Well, yeah, I mean, there's what we try to do it under each case, um, and I know Sherry has uh, specific ones that she enjoys, but <laughs> the one thing that I want to say is if you listen to our show, uh, 
at the very end of every case, we try to find something that the family has done to make things better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because the thing is, you have to take tragedy and do something with it. And a lot of our cases, we do look at the family and see, you know, did they do anything after this when we're doing our research? And a lot of times we do find uh, different Mm -hmm. things where the new laws have been made because, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. uh, Bob was killed. And, you know, now there's the Bob Foundation that now supports different bills and stuff. So that's one of the things that we try to look for in every single case. Right. And and. For me, some of the most inspiring things, you know, we talked about wrongful convictions before. It's it's outrageous, but it's also inspiring. It's outrageous because you get these people who are wrongfully convicted and there's absolutely no recourse for them. You know, our justice system is set up that once you're convicted, that's it done. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one case that I'm referring to that, that I did was uh, Christine Bunch, and she was convicted of killing her three-year-old son by setting her trailer on fire, and he died in the fire. And what was so outrageous about this is that the ATF and the arson investigators actually altered lab results to show that she had used this accelerant when, in fact, it was an electrical fire because they had just – you know, decided right off the bat that she was the murderer, it had to be her, so we've got to show this evidence that proves it's her so we can get her locked away. Uh, you know, just outrageous stuff. So fortunately, she was able to get her case picked up by the Innocence Project, and she got new lawyers, and they proved right. to a new judge, you know, that that all of this evidence was altered, and she's not guilty. So she was finally let out after 17 years of prison. I mean, that's just horrifying to imagine somebody going through that. But what was so great to me about her case was that when she got out, she started her own foundation, her own Innocence Project nonprofit, and it's called Justice for Justice. You know, if anybody wants to look it up and help her out. But she is helping women who are going through the exact same thing that she did. So she's really turning her life around and overcoming this thing that happened to her. And I think it's just amazing. It just takes so much strength to be able to do that. So I was just really inspired by her case. And a lot of the wrongful convictions cases, they make me so mad that when I mm. when they finally get out and they finally are able to do something with their lives, I get really inspired by how they overcome all of this this stuff that happened to them. Right, right. And that sounds that sounds really, really quite inspirational. That's really great. Well, um, one of the things that Joshua said that I'm going to kind of hone in on was he said, if you listen to our show, dot, 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 Mm -hmm. people should be listening to your show (laughs) and people need to listen to your show. It is a great show. And there is enough ear space in this world that you can listen to conversations of the strange the Wardcaster files. <laughs> Listen to either one, go back and forth because the both of them are great shows with very good looking people hosting it. So just <laughs> it's 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 a great time and it's a great show and I really hope that I really hope that this continues onward because you guys have made a fan out of me. You really oh, have well, been that's awesome, Don. And, and I have been so incredibly grateful and I want to thank you both very much for your times, and I really, really do appreciate it. And we will have links to, I believe you just have the Facebook page, am I correct? Uh, no, we've got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, what else? We've got everything. Yeah, we've, we've got a <laughs> okay. Facebook group as well, okay. um, and, you know, email, all of that kind of stuff. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, we're out there. Okay, well, we will put links to everything. And, okay, sounds good. Yeah, and we will have links to everything, and I wish I 
I wish I had an applause sound effect because I would do an applause sound effect for the both of you. <laughs> just that's just so that's just so wonderful to hear that you know we've got someone out there that appreciates us because you know when you're doing podcasting yes. you don't all you don't have that audience right in front of you. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, is that um, with all due respect to you guys, we're not famous like a lot of these other guys are now famous people that you've seen on TV shows doing movies that they say, hey, you know what, let's right. try doing a podcast and people millions billions of people are listening to it and right. we're just i don't know if you're like me you're like hey i had 26 downloads the last week's episode i've got 27 yeah exactly so like, we celebrate all the little successes yeah exactly pbs get out of the way so i mean it's just kind of like it, it's like that so i completely understand and i really 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 think that this is such a great podcast for that it's worth everybody's time so i want to thank you again for this you've just been absolutely fantastic and i want to thank you thank you both for your time uh we really appreciate it you know we wanted to get into doing interviews and stuff so this was a great leap for us so we really appreciate it yeah thank you so much for having us on don it's my pleasure and um when you guys have something big coming up like whether it be like your 50th episode your uh, 100th episode or whatever it is or you want to celebrate your however many downloads or something you got to come back on you got to come back <laughs> on great. and we can just hang out and just talk about <laughs> it and talk about some other cases as well well we're actually by the time we upload our next two episodes from the numbers that we're seeing we'll actually be at our our 10,000 uh, 10,000 downloads wow um, very cool about the next week yep. yeah very so yeah, we're- cool yeah, we're celebrating all all of the little milestones that we get. <laughs> Very <laughs> Every cool. little bit helps, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Very cool. Well, all I can say is um, send me a message on Facebook so that way I can post it all over the place and go big congratulations to you So, <laughs> for being a part of this. So once again, I want to thank uh, Sarah Ward and uh, Joshua Lancaster, the hopes of – the hopes. Oh. So, you know what? Hopes. That's what they do. They bring hope and enjoyment to your day. That's why I said the hopes. I like it. Um, we want to thank them. They are the hosts of the Wardcaster Files, and you can find it on just about any digital platform, any podcast platform. And uh, they're, they're so much fun. They're great downloads. They're easily, they're accessible. And here's the other thing that's very important. Both Joshua and Sherry are incredibly likable. These are the sort of people you would, if you if you were ever in Murfreesboro, you'd be like, I wonder if we could go grab a cup of coffee. That's how nice they are. However, please don't do that because they have families and they have um, wives that they have to have to attend as well as make I a think, wonderful podcast. I think we're up for some coffee. <laughs> Sherry's always up for some Starbucks. So. Nice. So. With that said, everyone, thank you so much for joining me today for Conversations of the Strange. Appreciate it. Please continue to stay safe. Please continue to practice the social distancing, and please wash your hands. I do believe that we can start seeing the pinprick of the light at the end of the tunnel, but still take care of yourselves. With that said, again, everybody, thank you for joining me, and have a great day. Welcome to Conversations of the Strange. Conversations of the Strange.